the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Something just leave it up there. He couldn't make that if he tried that again. Welcome to Buckets. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by my most valuable colleague, Brandon Anderson, NBA Futures Analyst. This is your How to Bet MVP episode of Buckets. Very excited for this episode. Uh, MVP is my favorite thing to write about. It's my favorite thing to talk about. Everyone else on Twitter hates it throughout the year, and I'm the only person that really enjoys doing it. Um, I spend more time on MVP than I do any other subject including like playoff races and all that. It's the thing I bet the most. I'm super excited. And Brandon Anderson shares my enthusiasm and he dives as deep as I do on it. It's going to be a great episode. Glad to have you guys along with us. Want to let you know that everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the award-winning Action Network app. It's the best way for you to track your picks. Get up to the second information on where the bets and money you're coming in on. It's got a new media center. So you can catch this podcast as well as all of our great podcasts like the Action Network podcast covering the NFL, and more as you get set for NFL season. Make sure to check out the Action Network podcast. It's absolutely terrific. Brandon's going to be on there for NFL season. Awesome stuff. Check that out. Want to let you know, we need those five-star reviews from you folks. We're doing really great. We're getting more of those. And if you leave a five-star review, there is a chance for you to win an Action Network Pro subscription. It gets you more detail on the app as well as a bunch of tools on our website. It's really awesome. We're also giving away swag, all sorts of stuff, including like today's winner, Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt, who on Apple Podcasts left us a five-star review that said, look forward to taking notes every single episode. Love how it's process-based and not just picks. That's what we do here is we talk about how to bet and not just what those picks are. Nah, no stone-cold locks here and get you out the door. We can get you the right <laughs> process for how to bet the NBA. Nicholas, if you want to hit up podcasts at actionnetwork.com, that'll get you set up for your opportunity to get your subscription and or swag. Reach out to podcasts at actionnetwork.com, Nicholas Holt. All right, Brandon, let's get started. As we do on these podcasts, we're talking about how to bet MVP and not just from a picks perspective, but also the process of it. We, you are very good at looking at the recent winners and looking at what are the rules and in terms of if we take the voting and we try and find these trends and guidelines of thresholds. Where are they? Let's get into it with MVP. Give me the rules for betting MVP. All right, let's get into it. So rule number one, to be an MVP, you got to score a lot of points. That always starts with the points, doesn't it? So we're talking 25 points a game here. That's the threshold you need. 14 of our last 15 MVPs have had 25 or more. The only one that I missed was Steph Curry by just a point. So 25 is a lot. We had 40 guys last or 20 points or more per game. We only had 14 guys hit 25 points a game. So we'll come back to this a lot. But the MVP field is actually a little narrower than you might think. There really are only 10, 15 guys, I think, that are truly in the MVP field. That's rule number one. You ready for rule number two? Hit me. All right. Number two, you got to win a lot of games. These are not shocking rules. We know this about our MVPs. We really do just pick the top scorer on the best teams. It is kind of that simple. Since 2000, 30, or 16 out of 23 MVPs have been the one seed. Four more have been the two seed. So 20 out of 23 have been a top two seed. Of course, Jokic the last two years has mm-hmm. not qualified for that, nor Russell Westbrook. So that's three of the last six years this hasn't held. But even including those guys, we're averaging... In the last six years, even during those three, still averaging a 56-win pace, an MVP winner this century averages over 60-win pace their season. That is a lot of wins. I think maybe the best way to put this is you don't have to win 60 games to win MVP, but it helps. That, to me, is like the best way to kind of put this. is like If you're a serious candidate on a 60-win team, you're going to win this thing. If you put up the numbers and you have the kind of impact and there's nothing holding you back from a narrative perspective, you're going to win this award if you win 60 games. But if you win 60 games, that doesn't mean that you're automatically seriously in the conversation, as we've seen several times throughout the last couple of years as well, right? Like all these 61 teams, because they have so much talent, it's diluted. And even last year, like Devin Booker was on the list, but wasn't necessarily a serious candidate despite the Sun's success. What's rule number three? 
Rule number three, you got to play a lot of basketball. So you always hear the best ability is availability. And the best ability is, you know, being awesome at things. But it helps to play. Here's the numbers that surprised me. In the last 40 seasons, no MVP missed more than 11 games that season. 11 is not a lot of games. So immediately, guys like Embiid, LeBron, Steph Curry, a little bit at risk there. 71 games out of 82. In the last 40 seasons, only six MVPs have missed more than six games. Now, again, Jokic last year played 74. We all know we're resting more these days. I don't know if those 6 and 11 game bars are exactly what we need to get to, but I think you got to believe your guy can at least play 70 games out of the 82. If history tells us you can't get to that number even, then you should really be questioning whether your guy can win it. There's probably a relationship here between the last two, right? So if you miss a lot of games, your team also probably didn't win as many games. And so like that's part of the key here. And if your team does win 60 games, if your team wins 60 games and you miss a lot of games, did they actually really need you as much as maybe some of the other guys? Were you that valuable to that team? Like that's part of the equation as well. So there's kind of this two-way relationship here. I do think, you know, I think last year maybe have been more flexible, but look, uh, Embiid is where this is most prevalent in any sort of discussion is okay if he's only going to play x amount of games can you really do it you know Jokic played all 82 in 2021 yeah. so that was like a big part of the, the conversation it's like well this dude played all the game or 72 games um played all those games and so that's that i do think carries a lot of weight i also think it's used as a tiebreaker if two guys are very close in a voter's mind and they're like you know what he just available the best skills availability and so best abilities availability so I think that absolutely weighs in. What's the next rule? Yeah, well, and uh, like the the VORPs and all the fancy rules count in playing time. You play 500 more minutes, you are by definition more valuable in those 500 minutes. So it's going to have to play in. Last rule. This surprised me how narrow this is. MVPs are young, but not too young. Age 24 to 28 is the sweet spot that we're looking for here. This century, 19 out of 23 MVPs have been right in that age range. So not quite still coming out of college or high school, but not too old either. Either you've got to have won voters over a while, but you're not yet deteriorating, getting that injury risk. The four outliers that didn't hit were all MVPs that we talked about as kind of questionable looking back. Age 24, 28 really narrows things down. Here's the band that we're looking at. Luka Doncic, our favorite, only 23 this season. John Rant, 23 also. Durant, LeBron, Curry, Harden, Dame, Paul George, all 32 or older. They all, any one of them, were they to win MVP this year, would be the oldest MVP since Carl Malone last century. So if you want to narrow down to just this criteria, here's the band that stands out. Nikola Jokic, age 27. Giannis, 27. Embiid, 28. Tatum, 24. Booker, 26. Those are the names that basically history is saying This is an in-prime MVP candidate guy that we have to take very seriously. Anyone else, the age thing has really been a a much more surprising factor than I would have expected. Yeah, this one's really surprising to me. I would not have thought about this. Um, A good example of this actually is that LeBron in 2008-2009, his first MVP season, just 24 years old. That's crazy, by the way, that and he was only 24 in 2008-2009. So... I think there's probably something here to talk about with regards to like lead up of yeah. uh, of a guy being in the league to establish himself, as well as I think there's something to be said for the experience, right? If you come in the league at 18, that gives you six full seasons to come of age skill wise before you enter into that into that sphere. Um, that does make a lot of sense. So look. Uh, this one, I think it really does is going to shape me a lot more when we get to the, the pick section. I'm going to have to be like, yeah, you know, he's outside of that age range. <laughs> but I also think maybe the best way to think about again, these are guidelines, not hard rules, yeah. because uh, one of the things about this award in particular, these are exceptional players, even amongst yeah. the most exceptional players in the world, which is the NBA. These are the, the most exceptional. This is the 99.9th percentile of all basketball players on the planet. So outliers, I think, are to be expected a little bit. Um, yeah. So, so, so my, my profile, then that's it. That's the four rules. The profile that my rules would say is we're looking for someone age 24 to 28 scores 25 points a game. They're playing on a top two seed and we're getting 70 games or more. If you just take those four criteria alone, nine of the last 14 MVPs check all four boxes. 
And the five that missed, missed only one of the boxes. So to me, I am counting this not as this is going to tell me who the MVP is, but who the MVP might not be. If I, if I get somebody that's giving me two or three red flags out of these, that's where I have to take my rules seriously here. So we'll get to the guys later. What sort of rules do you have for MVP? So I think for me, it's more, I have a lot of thoughts on how this works. And I dive a lot. Every year I write the case for the major candidates. I dive deep and do absolute, like, ridiculous. I watch all their possessions. That's my approach is I literally will sit down and pull all of their <laughs> offensive and defensive possessions. And if you ask, like, do you really watch all of them? No. Like, I will have them, like, just going through and I'll be making notes or talking to my kids or whatever. So, like, I will miss a lot of them. But you do definitely see, what I'll tell you is amazing. You see the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again. Like you learn a lot about like what James Harden likes to do with Clint Capella. You learn a lot about how Russell Westbrook rebounds. You learn a lot about uh, how Nikola Jokic plays defense and the angles that he sees passing. You're able to marvel at these guys. And you also see trends and things that they do to get some not easy, not cheap, but easy kind of stuff for them because that's built into everybody's game. So here's some guidelines I do want to talk about, and we're going to disagree on on Nikola Jokic in the pick segment a lot based off of my one of my key things, which is there has been no three-peat winner of MVP since 1986. Larry Bird was the last one to do it. The voter block has changed significantly since then. The league's availability of talent has expanded a lot since then. You have a lot more serious candidates and superstars. I do think that three is just a lot to give a guy. And there will be in the back of voters' minds, because this will get into their heads when people talk about it, there will be a discussion of, do I want to give Nikola Jokic something that no player, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, that no player has done since Larry Bird? Do I want Nikola Jokic to be the first player to do that since the eighties. And so I think that there's something real here to be said about the fact that no three peat winner has won since 86. Um, we'll talk about your pushback on that when we get to Jokic. And the, and Michael the- Jordan, by the way, another guy who would have been in that range. He yeah. didn't win three in a row. Apparently yeah. I've heard him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, Jordan, I think is an interesting one, right? Cause we can just kind of assume like if he plays in 95 or 94, he wins. If he plays in yeah. 95, he probably wins. So, um, the next one is a, is a stat, and it's a new stat. It's not win shares. It's not VORP. And if you're somebody that is skeptical of advanced analytics, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it should be a tool in your bag, but it doesn't really matter. For me, it was that when I started looking at this number that I, I really like the site. I mentioned it all the time on the podcast, dunksandthrees.com. They do a schedule adjusted offensive and defensive rating, which to me gives you the best indication of team strength. And they have an individual player metric, which is EPM estimated plus minus Uh, they, it factors in estimated wins and it does all this. One thing that I noticed when I started just looking at all these numbers and seeing where guys ranked is I was like, huh, that's weird. They had the MVP one. So I was like, I wonder what last year was. Oh, they had the MVP one. Oh, that's interesting. Number one in EPM has won. They have this up for the last nine years. The number one player in EPN has won in six of the last nine years. Uh No other advanced stat, VORP, win shares, BPM, any of these other advanced metrics, LeBron, any of them. None of them have that kind of success rate with. It's not about predicting the MVP and it's not about influencing it because most most voters have never heard of dunksandthrees.com. Is that EPM is capturing something that reflects what the voters are being swayed by, that these players are putting up seasons that are in line with what the voters are valuing and who is winning this award. Um, so it's important to note that that EPM is it's not that people are going like, well, he's number one in EPM, so I'm going to vote for him. Right. That's not the case is that EPM is reflecting that. Every player to win since 2015 has been top 10 in EPM the year before and top five in most instances. So they were at least in the top 10 the year before. And every single player, by the way, that has won MVP has been top five in EPM. There hasn't been anybody lower than five. Russell Westbrook was fourth. So there's all of these types of, of situations where a player was top like for the every season, they've been top five in this category. 
top 10 the last year as kind of a predictor. Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Steph, LeBron, Durant, Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Drew Holiday, and Rudy Gobert. Notably, two guys outside of this ba- this boundary are Trey Young, who was 11th, and Luka Doncic, who was 17th. Trey was right on the cusp last year and missed out because Rudy Gobert basically is always going to be a top 10 in every single advanced metric category. From a media perspective, voters are not swayed by puff pieces. These happen late in the year. What happens is the GMs will, set, will contact a writer that they would trust and be like, hey, you want to come over and, and do, a, do, a, do a feature on my guy here? Players like, if you're a writer, you're like, yeah, man, get exclusive access. So Chris Mannix, friend of the Favorites podcast, which you should also check out, uh, did a big piece on Joel Embiid this year that like just laid out the entire case and gave the narrative and all these types of things. Um, didn't help at all. Nikola Jokic notably has not allowed anybody to do these pieces. They've turned down every request the last two seasons. It's just the way I, I don't think that's good or bad. I'm not like, look at, look at how awesome Embiid or Jokic is. He doesn't care about the media. Does it like, it's okay if you want to win the award. It's okay. It's okay if you want people to know your story, but this is not proven to be any sort of impact. It didn't help in 2017 with Westbrook. Actually, Kawhi Leonard had a bigger piece on him then. Um, it doesn't help with uh, Giannis Kumpo, who has had various features written about him, but that didn't really change anything with him or help anybody else in those years that he won. Uh, voters are, however, swayed by influencers. And Zach Lowe is number one with a bullet. Anything that Zach Lowe says about the about the NBA MVP, you obviously need to pay attention to. You need to be keyed in on what Zach Lowe says. I will tell you that I am loath to admit this. I get a lot of questions from voters about what I think about MVP based off of the amount of work that I do on this. I've tried to build out a space and then I have friends in media and the friends are voters. And so I'll get those calls from friends. I'll also just get people that will comment on whenever I write these pieces about, oh, I learned a lot from this or whatever. I'm like one one hundredth of Zach Lowe's influence. I think Bill Simmons probably influences the conversation to a degree, but probably not that much given Bill's general approach. Um, A lot of the voters don't have time to listen to a full podcast or do these types of things. So being able to see Zach Lowe's article, click on it, and then just be like, oh, okay, he's got this. Okay, he says, or a tweet or whatever. So like these these things that are shared, there are influencers, but they've got to be certain people. We'll talk about the breakup of the voters like Kendrick Perkins is not going to influence the voters. That's that he's a voter, but he's not going to influence other voters Howard, for that. <laughs> uh, Howard Beck, Chris Herring, guys of longstanding respect in the journalistic community are who you need to be looking at as potential influencers. A consensus forms in the modern era. The easiest way to look at this is when Nikola Jokic popped up when MB was a favorite last year and Nikola Jokic popped up in the ESPN straw poll conducted by Tim Bontemps as number one with a bullet. Right. And the vast majority of the votes go this way. This is not reflective necessarily. Again, this is not a the voting is not following the straw poll. The straw poll is following the voting. Don't get those twisted. But this is a really important thing to note. Okay, Since 2009, every MVP award winner has held 89% or higher of the highest possible vote total. There's a point total, right? You get five points for first, four for second, et cetera. Since 2009, every winner has held 89% or higher, they get roughly 90% to 93% of the total possible vote. These are always blowouts. And you ask, like, well, surely the 2017 vote was close, right? Russell Westbrook won by 135 points with 93% of the total possible vote. Jokic got 87% in a very close race last year and 97% the year before. Giannis got 95% in the 2020 quote-unquote close race with him and Harden. This is not to indicate that the close the race is actually close or not. It can be close, but there is one guy that gets ahead of this. The reason this is important in your betting, don't get lured into thinking a player can win with second-place votes or barely edge it out. That you're, it Never, ever think, like, I think it's going to be really split, and he's going to win by a handful of votes. The person you're betting on, you need to bet, is going to have 90% of the possible vote total in his pocket when the votes come out. That's an important guideline here. 
and that influences your in in season betting a lot. Consensus usually forms early, but it forms super late last year. The first month will usually show the eventual winner, but it's also going to have a number of frauds. Demonis Sabonis was looking like a serious MVP candidate the first month of the season last year. Did not hold. There's always a guy that starts off hot and it's like, hey, could he be in the MVP conversation? So you're going to find value in that first month because the odds are still going to be long. But just know there's also a good chance the guy's going to absolutely fade and you're going to be like, well, that's just a dead ticket. The best value is around Christmas, but beware of the late season flip. So around Christmas is when you'll have one guy that's like had a couple of months that are really solid. You will have cases like James Harden and Joel Embiid this year that were the favorites at Christmas and they lost it by the end of the year. Um, the way to kind of judge this when you're betting later in the year is you need you need to have month by month success. So Luca had a really great end of season, but the late start killed him. You got to be good in October and you got to be good in March. You can't have one or the other. James Harden was the MVP in 2017 until March, and then he started to fade just a little bit. And Russell Westbrook had a bonkers finish to the season, and he took that MVP. Like. Harden was ahead late in the season, and that little bit of a slide really did hurt him. Um, I want to talk about the narrative vote here, and I want to get your thoughts on this. We talk, everyone just says, like, well, it's a narrative vote. You know, the voters, the voters just take the narrative. One, the voting block is extremely different than it was 10 years ago. The MVP revamped at it to 100 voters. And they got rid of local and TV announcers and added more analysts, international people, and reformed how the vote is taken. There's also social media, which is obviously dictating the course and the, and the pressure, honestly, to get the vote right. It's the player's play that builds a narrative, not the player. Being well-liked by the media does not get you the award. Nikola Jokic won two years in a row, and he is media-averse. Funny guy, doesn't do a lot. He is not the subject of all the, like, he's not in with all these people. Um, He's a non-glamour, he's, he's a player that plays in a non-glamour market, is comparatively unathletic, Serbian, and media-adverse, and he's won the award twice. Um, He'd be the exception that proves the rule, but then you got Giannis, who's definitely a fun interview, but Giannis plays in a small market. Giannis doesn't do as much. He obviously did the movie with Mirren Fader, like the, the book with Mirren. He's incredible. Um, but Jan and Giannis is approachable, but it's still Greek, not in the club. Agent doesn't do, pull a whole lot of moves, all these types of things. Voters are smarter than ever, and the less educated voters tend to follow those key signature votes. Media politics does come into play. A good example of this is that Adrian Wojnarowski chooses not to have a vote. Good for Adrian for not choosing for not doing yeah. a vote because he's got too many ties to various people. Um, but you can watch for the major reporters and see that if they did a major feature on a guy a couple of years before and he's in the MVP conversation, they're going to be a little lean towards those players. And you've seen that consistently with some folks at major outlets. Do you have any thoughts on like the role that narrative plays in the award? Yeah, I mean, look, the fact that we can sit here and say, okay, for me, here are the rules. Here are the numbers that I can say, you've got to hit this number, be this age. Like, if you can make rules that that show you historically these patterns exist, those aren't narrative patterns. There's no such thing as a narrative pattern in that way. If you can show points per game rules and number of games played and, and EPM, like you said, those are capturing numbers. There's... There's nothing in the EPM formula for narrative. It's not possible for there to be something about narrative in the formula. So I don't think narrative doesn't matter. I think that that would be crazy to say, but I feel like, you know, we, we talk about it like narrative is the whole story to me. Narrative is part of the story and narrative is going to be the tiebreaker. I think where if it's absolutely just, I can't figure out who to pick between then I think the narrative is going to push in either direction. But even there, we have to be careful because the immediate pushback to that would be like, yeah, but what about last year? Jokic and Embiid, they were, they were dead even, and wouldn't we have wanted to vote for Embiid? Well, in my opinion, I think by the end of the year, voters decided Jokic just was the better candidate. Yeah. Even though the narrative would have swung to Embiid, I think enough voters just decided we have to vote for Jokic. And to, to comment to your thing about the voting and like the consensus form too, <laughs> we have to remember how votes work. 
votes are binary. You get a yeah. vote and you vote for a guy like I'm not a voter, but if I have a vote, I can't look and be like, man, this was such a close race. I would like to give 0.6 of my first place vote to Jokic right. and 0.4 to Embiid. And they also don't all have a Zoom together and be like, well, I'm voting for Jokic and you're voting yeah. for Jokic. So Matt, why don't you vote for Embiid so we can kind of keep this close? No, you, you vote for the guy who's going to win. That makes sense. But some of these things are different than the way this is talked about on, you know, on ESPN and first take and everywhere. So it's, we got to remember these things now before we get into the heat of the races later. You made such a great point there. Don't bet on narrative because you don't know it. We don't know <laughs> what the narrative is for these voters. And these voters are very different, which gets me to my next point. I broke the the, the candidates, or the, the voters down basically into uh, six categories. Legacy scribes, which are guys like David Aldridge, who's been around forever, worked for TNT for a long time with The Athletic. Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated. Sam Amick is another longtime voter. Uh, Steve Ashburner, NBA, always gets a vote. He's at NBA.com, and he always gets a vote. These guys are guys that have been around and done this for a long time. Uh, analysts like Rob Mahoney and Dan Devine, uh, Zach Harper at The Athletic. Zach Lowe obviously fits in that category. Chris Herring, Kevin O'Connor. These are guys that do the work to do the film and are like deep diving, and some of them are sourced and some of them are not sourced. Like Zach Lowe is just like, he's like the alpha and the omega. And a couple of these guys are the same way where they talk to people and they do all this work. Um, Rob Mahoney is more of the, just like, he just, he pays attention to the league and he, he follows the, the games every night and he does all the, the work on it. These are, but these are analysts and these are the votes in my opinion, you can trust the most. And not just because I know most of those dudes. Um, they're, they're the ones that I think spend the, the take the right approach to deciding MVP. Uh, you got beat writers like Kelly Eco of The Athletic. You got Keith Pompey, uh, Anthony Chang of the Miami Herald. These kind of votes that are built off of, they try and represent a fair amount of the markets. They will always have a, a voter from each of the of the candidate, the major candidates. So Keith Pompey got a vote because MB was in the conversation. Mike Singer of the Denver Post was a voter last year. If you're asking about the, the differences between the athletic and the beat writers, there's not one. The, those guys are usually former beat writers, so they can be kind of categorized the same. If there's not a major beat writer or an, an ex, or an experienced one, if the biggest name in the market is that person, like Kelly Eco got one last year. Jonathan F Fagan usually gets one for the Houston Chronicle. Um, sometimes they'll both get one. You got personalities like Kendra Perkins, Arnie Johnson of uh, TNT, Cassie Hubarth. Mike Greenberg got a vote last year as host <laughs> of NBA Countdown. We don't have to do this for the partners, guys. They'll be okay. Um, but look, these are the ones that their votes are going to be very loud, but they're honestly one of the smallest minorities. Like they just, they don't, they don't take up a big chunk of the vote. There's so many more people that cover the league than are on TV. So they give these votes because they're the major TV partners, but oftentimes uh, those people's votes are not necessarily reflective. I will say that if you're looking for narrative voters, these are the people that you should most often look for. They will be very much tied to narrative. Um, there's a couple of writers I would I would categorize in the same kind of boat. Like Ramona Shelburne has been pretty uh, pretty upfront and honest about it. That she's just yeah. like they they were the story of the season. I think that's a perfectly fine approach. I don't mind if you're a narrative voter as long as your stuff is consistent. You're able to determine this however you want. There's no rubric for determining what valuable means. Um, one of Mark Jackson or Jeff Van Gundy will get a vote. That's how it is. And then there's always a handful of international votes. And honestly, I don't follow the international coverage enough to give you any insight on them. They only make up, I think, about one to two percent of the vote. Um, finally, the absence of a best player in the world heavily influences the value on this award, but substantially increases the risk as well. What I mean by I say by that is when I look back at the odds, guess who was a favorite and won, Brandon? Get, take a wild guess of the last 10, last 15 years and who was a favorite and won the MVP quite a bit. I'm going to guess LeBron James. Was LeBron, LeBron James. James. <laughs> so if you're the best player in the world, you have a pretty good chance of winning this award. Uh, that right now, there is a serious argument to be made amongst people between Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. All four of those players can be defined as the best player in the world night to night in the NBA, depending on the night. There are nights when I think it's Giannis. There's nights when I think it's Jokic. There's nights when I think it's Steph. And there's nights when I think it's KD. That means that there's value because the books can't heavily favor anybody. Your shortest, uh, your shortest favorite right now is Luka Doncic at plus 400. That's still, when you look back at kind of the history of the award and what the numbers have kind of shown, that's still relatively long compared to what we've seen from some of them. So I wouldn't necessarily, like, I would say that there's good value on this award, but it increases the risk as well because there's no, like, 
well, they're just going to vote for this guy because he's the best player in the world. Nobody is there. Then that's going to complicate things if their stuff isn't the same. Um, if we look back at the history of the award, the uh, average number on the board preseason via sportsoddshistory.com in the last 10 years was plus 880. The median was plus 563, so a little bit shorter. Um, the maximum was 2,500. That was Jokic two seasons ago. And the shortest winner um, goes back to LeBron. But in the last 10 years, it was actually uh, LeBron at, in uh, 2012 at plus 160. So typically speaking, it, you know, it's if it's not one of these like very obvious cases, a good example of this is Russ was plus 200, yeah. right? Like everyone knew he was going to gun for it. Everyone knew he was going to get a bunch of touches and he wound up winning. Um but there are these cases, especially I will say repeat winners do tend to get pretty good long odds. So again, I don't like Jokic, and we'll talk about that. Why next? <laughs> but you're going to get a pretty good value on them here, which is let's transition to that. Brandon, let's get into some. Well, of this pets. Let, let, let me uh, a couple things here. So you, you made a nice little chart for us with uh, these these from uh, from the odds website of the last 10 winners. I want to just point out a couple things I noticed when I look at this chart here. So this is just last 10 winners. What were their odds preseason and what rank were they in the preseason odds? So here's a few things I noticed right away out of the last 10 winners, only three times did the preseason favorite win MVP. Correct. Not very good. Three out of 10, not great. And I will point out too the times they won LeBron James plus 160, Russell Westbrook plus 200, Giannis plus 210. When the number one uh, odds person was like, you're an odds on favorite at that point. Like you were way ahead of the field. Our lowest odds right now are like 450 range for Luca. Mm. If I look at this list, I see Kevin Durant won it at a plus 300. He wasn't even the favorite that year. He was the second favorite, and his odds were still that much shorter. So that shows you how more wide open the field is, but also shows that we really ought to be careful about just assuming it's the favorite. And then the other thing, too, Jokic the last two years, 8th and 11th in odds. Everyone before that is top seven odds or better. That's it. So we talked about this being a MVP being a narrower field than you think. And and now I'll point out eighth and 11th, five years ago with James Harden was seventh. Again, all is evolving. So maybe is, is the starting to push a little further? It might be. But the history tells us if you basically just look at the top seven and there is a pretty clear cutoff after seven guys this year. That's the list. And your EPM stat says that. And a lot of my numbers say that there's not a huge bank. We'll talk all year about it, but we might just be talking about five to seven guys here. All right. Well, let's get into those five, seven guys. Uh, let's talk a little bit about you. You've noted in here in our, in our sheet that the, your model doesn't love anybody. So I'm curious to yeah. know how you're approaching betting this MVP. Cause last year we were just like, it's Giannis. It's Giannis. It's Giannis. And I was with you. I was 100% <laughs> with you. Uh, I also had Steph, which I can't believe Steph Curry had the one bad shooting season of his career the time I bet him <laughs> for MVP. But anyway, uh, what where are you at for voting for betting on MVP right now? Right. So and again, just to be clear, the model is not necessarily supposed to tell me who is going to win MVP. It's supposed to tell me who, who where's the value and the value for my model heavily was Giannis last year. If I look at my criteria, and again, the age one really limits things here. The age really starts to narrow the field, especially right now, because we have guys who are prolonged in their careers. That, that list I read off of Steph and Durant and LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, Damian Lillard, dudes in their 30s who are really good that we think of as MVP candidates. History says that guy doesn't win. They just don't win when they're in their 30s. Doesn't mean they can't. But if I'm following my model, basically, here's where we're at. And this is not going to be exciting to talk about necessarily. But my model hones in on three dudes who are the upper echelon of the MVP race, who are set to be in that age range, play a lot of games, score a lot of points and, and, and win a lot of games. Here's the three. And they're not going to surprise you. It's Nikola Jokic. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo. And it's Joel Embiid. And I said Joel Embiid third because he's the one guy who might not hit all of my marks because of the games played thing. We know that's always a question. So for me, when I look at it, anybody else on my list 
potentially falls short. The next closest is maybe Jason Tatum. If you like Boston a lot, he does fit into the age range now. So maybe Tatum is the guy that I'm sleeping on a little bit here. But basically what my model is telling me to do is try to build a position around those three guys, Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic. And here's an easy answer. You can bet right now, if you bet the best price available for those three guys, you could play all three and you effectively can get all three together at plus 200. So you can get Embiid, Giannis, Jokic against the field at two to one odds. My model would say that is a slam dunk because I would basically put those three better than a coin flip against the field based on what my model is telling me and probably closer to one to two odds than two to one odds. That's not very exciting. It's not exciting to just bet on three guys and be like, all right, I'm done. I'm done with MVP for the year. I'm just going to ride out and get one of those three. But that's effectively what my model is telling me to do. And then a little bit even more so, I don't necessarily believe in Embiid's ability to get on the court enough to win. So then my model is kind of saying, well, don't do too much with him. Just do Jokic and Giannis. And that is just so boring to me because that is literally the dudes who just won the last four years. And we talked about the narrative thing. I don't see any narrative. Who wants to vote for Jokic again? He just won twice in a row. He's getting his stars back. They're going to get the credit. Who wants to vote for Giannis again? We already know he's good. Let's give Embiid a chance. Let's get one of the young guys. I don't see the story, and I like to be able to see the story, but everything in my model says those are the two guys that I want to get behind. I can bet just those two at their best price available. Giannis at 700, Jokic at 1200. I can bet just those two guys together at a plus 400 number. And basically, that's my position to start the year out is just to get on those two and then wait and see from there. Okay, give me the argument against the fact that Jokic would be the first three-time winner since 86. What's the argument against it? Why should he be the first three-time winner? Is that what you're asking? I guess my question is, why shouldn't you eliminate Jokic based off of there hasn't been a three-time winner since 86? I, I don't have a great answer for it. And two years ago when we, well, it wasn't me, but two years ago when I evaluated MVP, and Giannis was the same case. And I was like, well, Giannis has won twice in a row. He'll never win a third in a row. And I did the exact same thing. I just knocked him off the list. Uh, crossing sports streams a little bit. Got in a little trouble with that one in the NFL last year because I crossed good old Aaron Rodgers right off my list at the start of the season because we never get back-to-back MVPs. And sometimes, like, you don't get to make the rules of who gets to win three in a row when they get to win three in a row. Like you said, Jordan should have won three in a row. He either would have played the one year or, look, the voters just should have given it to him. A lot of people would say LeBron should have won three in a row. Maybe that's the whole point is why Jokic won't win because those guys didn't win. But uh, to me, the smarter voter base that is going to pick the deserving candidate, to me, is the argument. Because if it gets down to the end of the year, and Jokic and or Giannis are just that good and just clearly the best guy on one of the best teams. At this point, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I kind of trust the voters to pick the guy. That's the right guy. They've, they've kind of shown with your, your EPM is a way like I would be an EPM guy that that is going to encapsulate the things I think make a player look like an MVP and your history on the EPM shows they're picking that guy. They're picking the guy who's the most valuable, even if it's like, really? Jokic is the three-time back-to-back MVP? I, I trust that the voters would do the right thing, and Jokic and Giannis are looking like the right thing. Okay. So here is what I would say to that. Okay. If we go back to April of 2021, okay, so a okay. full year and a half ago, and we look at the five game sample that we have with the with the Denver Nuggets with Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, MPJ alongside Jokic, and it was with Will Barton now replaced by Kevin Tavius, Caldwell Pope. Okay, um, Jokic in those games. Here are some of the numbers that he put up in those games in particular uh, versus Miami. He put up seventeen points. Uh, Houston twenty nine points. Put up 47 versus Memphis, 25 versus Portland. In the loss of Golden State when uh, 
Murray got hurt, he put up 19. So you have kind of this section, uh, this cross-section of performances here where in reality, um, I'm sorry, I had the wrong set here. Let me go through those again because this is important. Um, Orlando 17, Detroit 27, San Antonio 25, San Antonio 26, Boston 17, and then 27 in the loss to the Warriors when, when Murray got hurt. There is a dip that came with his usage when that team was fully capable, and it should. This team is going to be loaded. If they get hurt again, then I think you have to start betting Jokic for MVP again. I don't think he's going to have the usage. He's going to be playing in Serbian Eurobasket. That's going to exhaust him. Like guys that have that play in those international things oftentimes have a, a rough time in the regular season. They've talked more about resting Jokic than ever before. I think they're going to want to play. He's not going to have to play as many minutes because they have more depth. They're not going to have to be like, oh God, we have to get him back on the court at the 10 minute mark of the second quarter. They'd be like, all right, let's let's get Murray and, and Porter in there and buy Jokic an extra three minutes until we get to the seven minute mark. All of this combined, along with the three, the three time winner thing. I don't think you could. I, I know we said this last year. We said there's no way Jokic can win anyone. I get it. I do. I get it. It makes me want to bet him. I do not see it this year from a statistical profile. If you told me last year that MPJ was going to get hurt nine games in, I would have been like, oh, we should be betting Nikola Jokic. I did on on Action Network's Future Fridays on NBA bet, NBA.com slash NBA bet. That first month of the season, I was like, we need to start building a position on Jokic now. He's putting up monster numbers. MPJ's hurt. He's carrying this team. Get in now. And I didn't have him preseason. And I was able to build a given a position where I, I banked big on parlays and Jokic bets by betting him throughout the season. I do not see that opportunity for him at this point in the season. I could see betting for him later when you're still going to probably get a pretty good number on him because it's so long. They're not going to be able to shorten this to 200, right? You're going to have that intermediate period to react. I don't know why you want to get in now on Nikola Jokic, Brandon. Well, again, I think this is you and I betting a little differently, which is I don't know that this number is ever going to get any longer. And I have every reason to believe it's going to get shorter. Like this is my Giannis pick from a year ago. I believe Giannis was 800 last year, 850. And it's just like, okay, he is the singular star on a team that's going to be good. He's in the right age range. He's going to have all the numbers. He checks every box. I don't really think Giannis is going to win. I didn't think he was necessarily going to win last year. He just became like the default thing where it's like, I don't know, other than an injury, at the end of the year when we're talking with MVP and we're filling out ballots, I truly don't know what the, what the, what the path is where Jokic and Giannis are not on every top five MVP ballot. I don't know what happens to not have one of those guys be on there because their teams are good. The numbers are there. They don't miss games. Like historically speaking, everything lines up that they ought to be very much in the race. That doesn't mean they're going to win, but like put it this way. If Jokic was not the back-to-back MVP winner right now, and I realize he is, so this doesn't matter. If he wasn't, he would be my clear candidate and my all-in guy. Wow. He checks every other box for me. I was like, this is the guy that should win this year. It. The only thing holding me back is the anti-narrative thing we're talking about. I, I get it from a perspective of this is what the model says, and so I'm going to trust the model. I think we talk a lot about yeah. that, about how you got you, like you build these things, you got to have trust in them. Um, I don't approach it that way, and that's okay. We can we can be different. We can be different on that. Um, for me a lot of it is the production his rebound like his numbers were boosted by his rebounds his rebounds were impacted by michael porter jr who's an insane rebounder and nobody notices that he was out the nuggets have better rebounders on the floor now in guys like Catavius caldwell pope and bruce brown like there's all of these ways that Jokic's numbers are likely to dip it would not shock me like i've already bet Jokic under 27 per game in points that's an insane number to me I think Nikola Jokic, even as good as he is, because part of this is just Jokic isn't going to gun for it. He doesn't care. He doesn't. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about his numbers. He doesn't care about the awards. It's a it's a nuisance to him. <laughs> so to me, his assist totals going to be looking for those props overs. But I think yeah. his rebounds and points go down enough. What, Giannis. What, what, go ahead. Sorry. What about this narrative? Uh, um, a few minutes ago. 
you said we don't have a clear consensus number one player in the world. You listed off four guys, none of whom were the back-to-back defending MVP. If I recall, I believe you said four other guys that were not Nikola Jokic. I, I said Jokic. Did you say Jokic? Okay. Yeah. But I feel like, generally speaking, he still doesn't get to be in that conversation. Generally speaking, we do Giannis or Durant or Steph, or is LeBron still in there? We leave Jokic out of it. Is there a possible narrative where it's like, what are we doing here, man? This guy, we left him off the 75 list. We didn't want to give him MVP. The Nuggets won 62 games. He's been the best player the last couple of years. Like, is it, is there a possible, we need to finally own this. He's the best player narrative. No, they still, if you ask these voters who the best player in the world is, they're all going to say KD or Giannis or stuff. Like, unless it's right like, now, right now. But what if, what if they're just like, they have the sun season from last year and Jokic never, is the guy and they just get there because we have talked about the resist just because he's overcome the resistance to him. Doesn't mean the resistance doesn't matter. Does that make sense? Fair. Yeah. Like there still is a resistance to him. We still hear about it, talked about every day on TV. There's still this idea of like, why is he like, he was described as the worst MVP in league history. Like he's discussed as like, are we really <laughs> going to give terrible. it to Nikola Jokic? Like it's all dumb. Yeah. But there are people that voted for him this year that still would be like, look, he was the MVP this season, but that doesn't mean that he's an all-time great. And you say like, well, what about one more season? It, it, until he wins a championship, they're not going to get, it's not going to get there. And there is this burbling of like, look, he's been eliminated before the Western Conference Finals two years in a row, which is absurd. He's been so good in the playoffs. He's absurdly good in the playoffs. Oh, good. But, but there is like a, you got to win a title to prove it thing. And that yeah. does get higher when you win MVP. And Giannis kind of bucked that, which is why Giannis almost took that award last year. Right. Like, I think he was within range of stealing it with a few more weeks. I do like Giannis here quite a bit. Okay. Like, I think I'm going to bet Giannis. I have two bets on the board. I've already bet. I think I'm going to add Giannis at plus 700. I think there's good value on that, especially if you can find it longer. Um, the the only trick I have with Giannis is basically, can we count on the Bucks to be healthy? Because last year, even yeah. when they were coasting, once they got mid and drew back, it was easy for them. Yeah. Like they still were like back on pace for 55 wins. You know, their problem was really November when those guys were coming off of the of the Olympic run and both of them got hurt and a full off season off for Giannis instead of coming off of the title run, a few more weeks of rest. Yeah. Drew and, and mid don't have to play in there. Brooke hopefully won't have another back surgery. Like, Drew and mid not coming off the Olympics right before the season. Yep. And the um, defense will be much better with Lopez on the court. You know, Mar- uh, Marjan Beauchamp may be able to give them something off of the bench. Joe Ingles, when he gets back, may be able to help them out. You know, are we wrong that it's going to be Celtic Sixers? What if the Bucks are the one seed? And so, yeah, I think I think Giannis yeah. has value. Look, Embiid is is at plus six fifty. I can't tell you that's bad value. I think the voters want to give it to him. He's going to gun for it. He's going to try. It's just injuries. It's yeah, just injuries. Everything else says that with 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 if MB didn't and look MB played a ton of games last year like he made it through coming off of when he had a, an MCL sprain he played that whole year and the injuries he had in the playoffs were flukes. Yeah, it's just he just gets banged up and I you know the Sixers are going to be I think so good that honestly he may not play thirty five minutes plus a night a lot right. I'm probably going to have to do the same thing I did with Jokic this year with MB, which is why I should bet it now, but I'm not gonna, I think after the first like two weeks of the season, I'm gonna have to be like, Oh shit, we gotta be, I gotta bet MB a lot. See, and here, here's where I'd push back on that. And this is why my position, my position tells me just get a piece of these three guys and then let it ride. I don't think I need to do that with Embiid yet. Cause he's going to have that period where he misses a couple of weeks. At least it's going to happen. He's not just playing through all, all 82 this year. So you're going to have a chance to get an Embiid price later that I think will be at least this number and probably better than it. The games played thing, look, it it just matters because we said for my rules, last 40 years, no one's missed more than 11 games. That means you're playing 87% or more of your schedule. Joel Embiid, last five years, here's the percentage of his team's games he's played. 83, 71, 70, 78, 77. It's a lot of games. He's very good. You can be really good and be the MVP runner-up, which he has been. 
but that's basically a 62 game pace. It's just too short of my number to, to me. If I were doing the odds, here's about where I would put it. If I was my own sports book and was just betting, putting true odds, I would have Giannis and Jokic both around plus four to 500. I'd have Embiid about where he's at, about 650 or 700. I think his number is right. Jokic and Giannis are the numbers that are off. And really, from the whole rest of the list that we'll get to now, those are the only two real, like the, the real margins where the odds are in my favor. So the one guy we haven't talked about here among the favorites is the favorite, Luka Doncic. I know you like Luka, so I want to hear your case for him. Okay, so <clears throat> you talked about how you're like, well, the model says this, and I'm basically saying like, well, I have all these indicators. I'm going to go ahead and go against them. Uh, <laughs> Luka's plus 460 is the best price right now. I went ahead and put down a big chunk on him. So last year he was 17th in APM. I think basically where I'm getting to is my justification is Luca was, I, I don't have this for sure. Luca was, I think, top 10. I, I saw a number out there that for the second half of the season was top 10, top five. I'm sure he was. Yeah. He had a bad start last season. The Mavs had a bad start offensively last season. The Mavs were more of a defensive team last season. And the biggest thing is early on in the year, they were trying very hard to do like a egalitarian thing where it was like, we don't want Luca to just do everything. Everybody needs a chance. We're going to give, we're going to give Chris Stapps post-ups and uh, we're going to put, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. and ISOs. And uh, let's see what we can do with all. And it was, and by the end of the year, they were just like, no, how about uh, Luka Doncic just does everything all of the time, every single possession, which is ironic because their success of the get the jazz came when he was out and Jalen Brunson did this stuff, but nonetheless, um, I think this year they're going to lean into it even more. I think that this is going to be an insane usage season from Luka Doncic. I don't buy a lot into off-season workout videos. It's not something I do, but I do pay attention to the fact that Luke is in shape in the month of August. He's going to be in Eurobasket, which means he will be coming off of that. Eurobasket starts September 1st. Training camp is at the is the last week of September. You Luke is literally not going to have time to fatten <laughs> up. So if Luca starts the season in shape, that's a whole other level of him. I think Christian Wood helps the offense. I think people are overrating the impact that I think losing Jalen Brunson hurts the team, but I think it overrates the impact it's going to have when Luke is on the floor. He still has Reggie Bullock, Tim Hardaway Jr. Who's coming back as shooters. He's going to have Christian Wood who honestly doing the Houston tape. I stood out as like, wow, Christian Wood's really pretty good. And he's going to fit great with, with Luka Doncic. If he engages, he's going to be great. Uh, this Dallas team, I think by hook or by crook, is going to outperform expectations. I bet them heavily to win the division. So at 460, when I think that he there's a possibility he comes out and is like putting up insane numbers right off the bat, I want to go ahead and get in now at plus 460 for Luka Doncic to win MVP. So I'm going to make the case for him, and then I'm going to tell you why I don't like to bet on him right now. Here's the case. You made the case, but here are the numbers. The... <laughs> The game after the Porzingis trade, he's free. He's free of Porzingis. He drops 51 points. And from that game forward, 25 games the rest of the season, Luca averaged 32 points, nine and a half boards, and eight assists a game. He he hit four three-pointers a game at 40%. So be careful because we know that Luca runs hot and cold on threes. That won't last. But the volume was up. He's shooting more. We saw that come out in the playoffs. You and I both played a lot of Luka Doncic three-point overs and a lot of overs in the playoffs and down the stretch. The numbers are going to be there. If you just want to bet MVP based on whose numbers should make me the MVP from counting stats, here's your Russell Westbrook season. Like, could have, he could average a triple-double. I don't think he will. I think he'll be a little short, especially on assists. But he could could be one of those 30-point triple-double guys. The problem for me is... In the last six years, we've now had three winners who don't perfectly fit my model in that they're not winning the, that, that top two seed thing. That's what Luca to me, is probably going to have to be, is I don't think Dallas is a top two seed. I don't give them enough credit to get there. Luca also is 23. Again, my rules don't say, voters aren't going to look and be like, oh, he's not old enough. But by, by my matrix, basically, he's a red flag on age because he's not there yet. And I don't believe in Dallas winning enough. I also just, I don't feel like the price is there. 
if you are not checking enough boxes for me and you're the favorite right now, and we know history says the favorite typically doesn't win unless they are a real slam dunk favorite. And I, for me, I think the price is too short. And I think that there will be a better number later if you need to get a position with them. Why? When is the number going to be better? You think they're going to start off when slow? the season gets going and we're a month or two in and Dallas is the six seed or the eight seed or somewhere in there. I think that's when because the number Luca's numbers will just be there. That's not going anywhere. But right. we already know that. But I think when Dallas is like a 500 team a month into the year and it's like, oh, well, they're not good enough for him to win it. OK, I mean, if that's your case. I get it. This that entirely almost is is precedented on the schedule too, right? Like sure, when you're going to yeah. need to look at the schedule should be out next week. Maybe we can make a determination based off of that. If they've got a soft schedule up front, is that going to influence you at all? Because you may not get a better number if they start off with a soft schedule. Uh, it's going to influence me, but when I before we started this, if you just said forget your rules, just tell me your instinct. Who should win MVP next year? Luka Doncic, easy winner. Yeah. I literally two. To our NBA editor, I pitched to him, Malik, like a month ago. Hey, I want to write about Luka Doncic for MVP. And to be fair, the number was a little longer. I think it was like 550 or something, and people have been betting it. So it's a bit shorter now. But my instinct said, this is my guy. My rules say it's not. And I I follow my rules, and so I can't bet it. Uh, Kevin Durant is outside of the age barrier, but he was top 10 in EPM last year. I have bet Kevin Durant at plus 1,200. I get it. If you're like, this is insane. We don't know if he's going to play. I, everyone has said like, we don't think he's going to hold out. It just doesn't seem in Kevin Durant's matrix to, to do that. He's going to play basketball. He loves basketball too much. If Kevin Durant gets traded to the heat, he can win MVP. If he gets traded to the suns, he can win MVP. He is that much better than Chris Paul and Devin Booker. If he gets traded to the Raptors, he can win MVP. If he gets traded to uh, the Pelicans, he can win MVP. If he gets traded to Boston, he can win MVP. Um, I don't think that there's going to be, I used to think that there was a stigma against super teams. I don't really think that's the case anymore. Durant was the odds on favorite last year before he got hurt. He was the odds on favorite. He should have been, he should have won. Like he doesn't get hurt. He wins that award as great as Jokic was Durant wins that award. If he doesn't get hurt, the Nets were on pace with a one seed. Durant is arguably the best player in the world. You get 12 to one on him. If the Nets decide to run it back and everybody stays healthy, just out of spite, they can rack up 55 wins, annoying all of us, and Durant wins MVP. Basically, like, as much as everybody's annoyed by it, being like he's the best player in the world. There's just no question about it. I think there's value at Durant at 12 to 1. I don't want it any shorter than 8. I like it at 12 to 1. Yeah, I was going to ask about the number. Well, what do you think? You've, so you've already made the bet on Durant, correct? Yep. Yeah, I've already bet. Okay. What team or teams are you hoping he gets traded? Like, what's your ideal outcome? And when he gets to that new team, what do you think happens to this number? Toronto would be ideal because the perception of Toronto is they're not that good, even amongst people in the league that like them a lot. They don't think they're like a star-related team and they probably lose Siakam in that deal. And so then you're not going to be like, well, he had Scotty Barnes. No one's going to be like that, right? So good infrastructure, Durant raises the floor, the depth is going to be terrible, but that'll just make his case better. They win 50 plus games, top three seed. That 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 one's best. Miami would be another, I think, great one. Even though it's like, they made the Easter Conference Finals last year. Yeah, but he's so much better than everybody else on that team. Even Jimmy Butler. He's just so, and Butler would, would absolutely be fine with being like, yeah, man, I don't need to take that many shots. Butler doesn't care. Does not care. No, that's true. Um, the Suns might be just a, such a juggernaut that it might be possible. Getting that done is tougher, obviously. Boston makes me is like less desirable because they're going to be like, they made the finals last year, man. You went to a, a team that made the finals <laughs> again. <la> again. <laughs> you lost it to you went. So that one would probably be pretty hurtful. Um, I actually don't mind if he's on the Nets. Like I could just see the Nets being like, nope, they just got healthy and Kyrie actually played because the vaccine mandate was lifted. They yeah. won games. I'd like, I don't trust their chemistry. I don't trust their coaching. I don't trust any of this. I don't see this being a tenable situation. I might note, I don't think this happens, but that would be like the ideal is like um, yeah. those, those kind of scenarios. So for me, like there's very few scenarios where I'm going to be like, Ooh, I think this bet lost a lot of value. I don't see him getting traded and his yeah. number going up. Yeah. So it's almost like the potential threat of a holdout or something going funky is, is keeping the value there on the number because at some point 
will know what the team is. And it sounds like you think the odds get a little shorter either way. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I think that that's accurate for me, for my model. Durant has to be a no, but he just has to because he's 34 years old. He's not healthy. He doesn't yeah. get through these seasons yeah. healthy. He played 55 right. last year, played 35 the year before. He's going to score the points. He's going to win a lot because it's Kevin Durant. He's really good. He's yeah. going to deserve to be in the conversation. But the age and the games played thing is just too giant of a pair of red flags for this short of a number for me to bet in on it. Uh, we're running out of time here, so let's go through some other names really quickly. Um, you've got possible cash out plays on Spider Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, so I just think I think Donovan Mitchell is is a guy that maybe has a moment. I, I don't think he has any chance to win. He is in the right age range, but he's not good enough. He's not good enough to be MVP. He is good enough to suddenly put up a scorching hot stretch of like mm-hmm. a 32 points a game for three weeks sort of thing, especially if that's in New York. We know how the media is going to eat that up. He's 120 to one. It's purely a cash out play that you wait for the moment. You wait for the moment and then you cash it out, get your money. I tell you, the cash out problem is just like they don't make it available when it's advantageous to you. Like yeah, that's, that, that's, that's fair. That's so it's, it's cash out only option. You want to talk about Trey Young. For me, Trey is a cash out play. I don't really believe that he can win because the defense is so bad. Yeah. It's going to hold all those advanced metrics down. And I think that voters view him that way. A lot of them as well. He's age 24. So he is just in that age for me. The numbers will be there. He's going to score. He's going to have the assists. I don't know if Atlanta can get to a top suit seed. Even if he does, I feel like he is a ballot guy, not a winner. To me, Trey's a cash out play. Yeah. I feel like you like him a little more than me. I do just based on the fact that he was 11th last year. And if we just remove Rudy Gobert for his Rudy Gobertness, then Trey Young is a top 10 player in EPM. If the Hawks are absurdly good with DeJounte Murray and like all of a sudden make this huge leap and are, they win the division, Trey's numbers are so good, are so good across the board. The biggest reason not to, so we talked about EPM, it's got offensive and defensive. No player that's won the award has been lower than 47th percentile on defensive EPM. Trey last year was 16th. 16th. So getting that jump to like mid-50s is going to be pretty difficult. I think at 40 to 1, right? I I, I like it at 40 to 46 to 1, I think is where he's he's at one book. Like 46 to 1, squeeze out the value. That one probably shortens if you can buy into the Hawks. I may bet it after I do the Hawks deep dive for win total. Sure. That may be where I'm like, okay, you know what? There's actually enough here. I can. I found like a reason why the defense sucked, but there's a lot of stuff with the Hawks that still that still concerns me. I do like it as a cash out play. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a few other guys that fall into for me the Kevin Durant range of there's just too many red flags for me to bet it. Steph Curry, same thing. He's great. He absolutely is good enough to win it but the age and the games played thing come into play. Kawhi Leonard, not quite as old, but obviously coming off the knee, we know he's not going to play a lot of back-to-backs. The games played are an issue. He's over age 30. I, of these guys, Kawhi I see at, at 30 to 1. Durant 12 to 1. Steph Curry 17 to 1. LeBron 25 to 1. LeBron might just have his own rules. So maybe he just, like LeBron could just win because it's LeBron and the media just threw out all the things that we do because that would be fine with him. And then not quite the same, but John Morant, 15 to one, the games played thing is a concern for me with him. And he's actually not in the age range yet. He's still a year short. I think his better year was last year of these five guys, Wyatt 30 to one. At first I was like, oh, well, maybe I have to nibble him a little bit. His number is a little longer here. I actually think the 30 to one is about right for the guys in this group. So I think Kawhi maybe has slight value and could win. But really, that's why I'm not going to bet on KD, no Steph, no LeBron, no Ja. Not right now. Uh, so <clears throat> Ja, not top five in EPM, by the way. Doesn't qualify for under the mm. EPM stuff either. You know who was back in 2021 when he played? Number three was Kawhi Leonard at uh, plus 6.9, 99th percentile on EPM. He was actually within a point of Jokic, which is pretty impressive because Jokic is so far ahead of the field in this category. The problem, so here's the argument for, for for Kawhi. It's not that he can't play 72 games like Embiid. It's that he doesn't play 72 games yeah. like Embiid. So if you think that he just does play 72 games because he decides he wants to, he gets there. And you could be, you could say, like, well, he's got this degenerative leg issue and all these type of things. Fair. 
if Kawhi wanted to, he could play that many this year. Um, coming off of the injury, though, coming off of an ACL injury where he missed an entire year, probably not worth making. 40 to 1 is really enticing. If you're the opposite of where I'm at with the Celtics, which is like, I'm just spoiler alert, I'm going to be banging their unders. Jason Tatum's probably maybe the best value on the board here, 14 to 1, right? Yeah, Jason Tatum it fits my model pretty well. He scored from February 13 forward. He averaged 30.2 points a game. Like if the Celtics are as good as a lot of folks think they will be and they win 60, 65 games and Tatum puts up close to 30 points a game, that is like as easy of an obvious MVP candidate as you could get. I just, ah, I can't quite get there. Like the EPM, BPMs, all the advanced metrics, just have him like a half tier below these yeah, top yeah, guys. Yeah, they like him, but he's below. Right and, and yeah, yeah, he's great. But it's, it's it's almost, the Celtics are almost too good in a weird way where it's like they, they don't quite need him to do the things enough to be like the singular star on a team. The defense almost takes away from it a little bit. So it to me, it reminds me, and I think I said this a year ago about him, it reminds me of, the, of Paul George with the Pacers where it's like, I absolutely could see Tatum finish second or third, get on the ballot. I have a hard time getting there with first and at 14 to one, and the season you're going to need from the Celtics to get there, I, I can't get there on the number. I think it's a little too short right now. Zion's young, hasn't played, bad at defense. There's all these types of reasons, but he's so impactful. You've got my passable cash out play. We'll talk about him another time. Yeah. We're going to do a long shots episode, Brandon, before the season. <laughs> and on that, we're not going to do it today. <laughs> on that episode, I'm going to come back to you and ask why in the hell on this show sheet you have Evan Mobley at 490 to 1 to win MVP, but we're not going to do that today. Look, Thanks just for, give me... No! Look, look, we, 10 seconds. We're out of time. At FanDuel, at 490 to 1, Evan Mobley has the same MVP odds as John Wall, Marcus Smart, and Tyler Hero. Get all the way out of here. He should be 100 to 1. He's not going to win, but 490 to 1 is insulting, and I have to put a couple bucks on it. That's all. I like Tyler Hero more than I like Evan Mobley, Brandon. Get out of here. All right. Let's go ahead and get out of here. This has been your How to Bet MVP episode. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Make sure to, to give us those five-star reviews. Download the Action Network app. We'll see you guys again next time. Have a good weekend. Let's get buckets.